It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Hey, I love to meet new people, new friends, and I love for you to meet new friends. And we have one with us today, J.P. Sundararajan. Pretty good. Pretty good? Pretty good. All right, all right. So J.P. is the Director of Global Missions for the Reformed Church of America. Grew up in Bangalore, India. That's where you're from. How in the world are you now living in West Michigan from growing up in Bangalore, India? You know, that's a question I often ask myself. I have lived in Holland, Michigan longer than I've lived anywhere else in the world, and yet when people ask me where I'm from, I can't help but say I'm from Bangalore. Right. Um, how, why, I don't know. Like, I am a tropical kid through and through, did not know what fall was or what wind chills meant, mm. and uh, yet God called me here, and I feel like in some ways I'm on a reverse missionary journey of sorts. So yeah. I'm grateful to be here, but sometimes my tropical body still does not know what to do with what's coming. So you went to high school in Bangalore and then came to the States to go to a, a school. That is correct. So where did you go to school? I went to a little town in northwest Iowa called Orange City. So I went from a city of 12 million people to a town of 5,000 in the wow. middle of America. Talk about culture shock. Oh my goodness, yes, absolutely. What was that like? I, I think there were more people who lived on my street in Bangalore than live in the entire town. And the other part of it, Perry, is that you know, when you think about America, the way it has been portrayed by movies and media, yeah. nobody ever captures Northwest Iowa in those uh, <laughs> depictions. And so, but that being said, I really fell in love with uh, rural America in many ways because all I had known is the urban life. And so coming to America and understanding, I mean, man, like we grew up with rice fields and all of a sudden I saw cornfields and I realized the size of our fields in India were the size of machines in Iowa. Okay. And so there were all of these learnings I had to do. But I think the beautiful part of it is to understand how God's harvest field also looks different in many ways mm. and how one farmer in Northwest Iowa can farm thousands of acres uh, through the use of technology. And so as a ministry, we as a family have been doing that uh, trying to bring in the harvest, uh, harnessing the power of God's technology in this world. So it's been it's been wonderful to experience these two very varied worlds and see how God operates in both. Yeah. So one of the, want you to share your family's faith story, and it really, in many ways, begins with your dad wanting to become like your grandfather. Yeah. So talk about that part of the story. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about uh, God's movement in a world where the name Jesus is not even mentioned. And so we're talking about a family in the heart of South India that was very affluent, very wealthy, very influential. And into that home, my dad was born as the firstborn child and the firstborn male. So all that my grandfather had was going to be my dad's one day. And so my dad grew up, you know, and that, that's a family that was Hindu. And so... They, they had a very good life, but I think when my dad became a teenager, there was a bit of teenage angst that set in, mm -hmm. and I think what he called it was a vacuum in his heart, and it was a search for peace. He said, there was no peace in my heart, and I didn't know what to do, and so he was looking around, and ironically, my grandfather, even though he lived in this predominantly Hindu village, um, was a communist. In fact, he was one of uh, the communist leaders of the community and one of India's freedom fighters, a very feared individual. And my dad, in the communist ideologies, found what he hoped would be the, the bringer of peace in his heart. 
um, and also solutions to problems he saw in society that he found around him. And so that was his desire. He said, I'm going to give up on my family's religion and I'm going to shift to believing what my father, my grandfather in this, in this case, believed. And maybe in that, I will both find that peace I'm looking for and maybe that'll be the answer to what I, the problems I see in society as well. Okay, so he he went to a school to learn about communism, right? Well, yeah, he went to college. He was uh, he majored in political science. Got involved in the student wing of the Communist Party. Was a pretty uh, you know very early on established as their future leader. Kind of rose the ranks. Um, so, and his plan was to finish his undergraduate work and then go on to Russia, which is then the Soviet Union, and do his PhD work in communism studies and bring it back to his community and spread the message of communism. And one day he found a Bible, right? That's right. Because the the search for peace eluded him even in communism. And in his college room, despondent and depressed, my dad found a Bible because he said, if communism is not going to provide me what my family's religion did not, what is in this book that could? Yeah. And, and there was a moment where somebody kind of interrupted him or saw him with the Bible. Yeah, when you pick up a Bible, and if you've never held a Bible in your hand, where do you begin? I know you had a quiz on First Chronicles. You know, imagine you start there. Um, so my dad is literally flipping through the pages, and it just so happened that one of the few Christians on campus walked down the hallway, and he peeked into the room and saw the president of the Student Communist Party reading his holy book. Mm -hmm. Those two things do not add up. Mm -hmm. And so that opened up a conversation. It reminds me so much of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in, in Acts. And so that began a conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the few Christians on the university campus saw him open up a Bible, so pick it up from there. Absolutely. So he sees this, the leader, one of the leaders on campus reading his holy book, and you have to put yourself in the shoes of that guy because Christians are generally kind of looked down upon, generally speaking. They're the pariahs on campus, the ones that people kind of think are weird. You know, they worship invisible things and they sing songs that are different and they dunk people in water. Mm. And so you kind of find ways to avoid these guys. And so when he saw my my dad reading his holy book, uh, it opened up a, a portal for him to come and ask my dad, what are you reading? My father is completely embarrassed to be caught holding this book, which feels like contraband for somebody like him. And so he says, hey, um, I'll be honest, I was reading this, but I'm trying to find mistakes in it so I can argue with you guys. And there was a kernel of truth there. And, and the man said, that's great. There's a little group of us that meets on this coconut grove on campus. You should come, bring your questions. We'd love to talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be reading these guys' book in your dorm room. Another thing to be associating yourself in some sort of a coconut grove with all of them. And so my dad is very reluctant. And yet he feels like he should at least give this a shot. He's a little embarrassed. And so he shows up at the coconut grove. And I can only imagine the visions of revival that are dancing through the heads of these ragtag group of Christians, right, in the middle of the coconut grove. Because imagine if this guy becomes a Christian, what could happen to our campus? And it all kind of like, all the hype just gets deflated because my dad said, you know, that meeting was okay. They didn't have anything inspirational. The music was not great. And about halfway through, my dad said, I don't know if this is it for me. And he got up and he left. And Perry, this is where I feel like I owe a debt of gratitude for these men I've never met who said, I can't imagine the disappointment, who said, hey, um, we're not going to let go of him that easy. Let's pray for him for 10 days and invite him back. I mean, how many of us, right? Like when we invite somebody to our thing, we feel like we've done our job and they walk away that's like, okay, the blood's on your head. Mm -hmm. But they prayed and then they went back. And this time my dad sees them coming a mile away and there's no embarrassment. There's just pure anger. He's like, why are you here? 
I've had I've had this conversation. This is not what I'm looking for. I apologize if I've given the wrong impression, but this is not what I'm seeking. But they had this exchange where they were just like the persistent widow, polite, kind, and insistent that my dad come back one more time to the coconut grove. And my dad realizes very quickly, this is a persistent bunch. I might as well go. And he makes a deal with them. He says, I'll go, but after this is done, let's not have this. Let's be ships passing through the night. No more conversations. Can we have a deal? And they said, sure. So my dad makes his way back to the coconut grove one more time. And again, there's nothing. I mean, again, you got to realize these people have no real connections to the outside world. It's just an ordinary meeting in an ordinary space with ordinary people. My dad shows up and he sits and he decides I'm going to stay the whole time. This is it. I made a deal. These guys are persistent. I don't want to mess with them. So he stays. And at the end of the meeting, they all have a time of prayer. And it, you know, and my dad is under no obligation to prayer, but he offers one anyway. And it goes something like this. He says, God, I don't know if you exist. These people say you do. If you are who they say you are, then give me this peace I'm looking for. If you can provide me this peace, then I will work for you the rest of my life. And then I don't know if there was any Hail Marys thrown yesterday, but that was like the ultimate Hail Mary prayer sure. of sorts. They throw it up there. What is the worst that can happen, right? And it's a dangerous prayer to be praying because the meeting disbands. Everybody begins to make their way back to the dorm. And my, on the way back to my father's uh, dorm, my dad, for the very first time in his life, experienced the peace of Jesus Christ. Mm. And knowing what that was, like it was not a... It was a genuine seeking after a peace that when he experienced it, he did not attribute that to some sort of a coincidence or a feel-good moment. He knew that this was what eluded him in his family's religion. This is what eluded him in communism, and he found it in Jesus Christ. And that is when he turned around, went back to the coconut grove to his new brothers and said, okay, what is going on? And it was that night that my dad would surrender his life to Jesus Christ. Wow. It's the presence of God. Once we taste and experience the presence of God, which is the love of God, you know, Paul says, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. When we taste that, we can't go back. You can't. And you don't even have to be a Christian to experience that. Like imagine just an average human being yeah. knows what the peace of Christ feels like. How beautiful is that? And your dad prayed for the first time and experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus won his heart. He gave his heart to Jesus. And so he's he's still in a Hindu family. And he writes a letter to your grandfather. Pick it up there. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one thing for your son to be, you know, following in your family's religion. Um, even better if you're following in your own footsteps as being a communist. But becoming a Christian was just a non-starter uh, for my grandfather because that is akin to my dad getting leprosy, in, 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 to put it uh, in another way. Because what this means is the whole family is considered cursed. And, and, you know, you look at India and everything is done communally. And so my grandfather was a businessman. All his business transactions would be affected. My dad's siblings, especially his sisters, were all lining up to get married through arranged marriage. All of their uh, alliances would fall apart if they found out that the firstborn son of this family has fallen into Christianity. So my grandfather gets this letter where my dad just explains to him, hey, this is what happened. I just want you to know. And my grandfather, he's a good man. He's a good father. And he sees what, what through the, the lens of a father, like he sees maybe his son falling into the wrong crowd, right? And so he, for good reason, kind of 
begins to get scared and worries. And he says, okay, my, my son, somebody has brainwashed my son, was his line. So he said what every good father would say, get him out of his, like get him away from his bad influences. And so he said, whatever you're doing, drop it and come home immediately. I need you to come home. And my father was an obedient son, so he left everything in college and went back home. And my grandfather is kind of just re- trying to reprogram my father into thinking like the Hindus or like the communists, but he begins to watch him very closely. And two things happened that my grandfather was really hoping would not happen. One is my, every day my dad seems stronger and stronger in his new faith. And two, his siblings are now getting excited or interested in this newfound faith. Yeah. So my grandfather had this real dilemma at hand. And so he, does, he, he called my father one day and he said, hey, look around you. Everything you see is going to be yours one day. Everything. But you cannot be a Christian. Now, if you want to be a fool about this and you want your Jesus, there's no room in this house for you. Mm. You choose. Mm. And my father, you know, told his father these words, which are like etched in our family lore. Uh, he basically said, you know, all your wealth and all your influence will never give me what Jesus already did. If those are my options, I choose Jesus. And that would set in motion, Perry, these wheels that would lead to my dad being excommunicated by his own family. And this is a very big deal in India. And if you ask most Indians, would you rather lose your family or lose your life? They will always say, we'll lose my life. And that is not a hyperbole. They literally, like you lose your family. That is the ultimate loss for you. And this is a village that my dad's great, great, great grandmother founded. So this whole village is just his people. You talk about a village raising you, that, that was it. And one fine morning, the village that raised you rejects you. Mm. You, st- you cease being a cousin, cease being a nephew, cease being a son, cease being a brother. And in a public ceremony, my dad was then ostracized and he left his village with the clothes on his back. And his words really were, you know, my God will provide all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so he left the village. And, and, and again, God's got a wonderful sense of humor and irony in all of this because my dad would go everywhere and tell his story because my dad was trained to be a preacher by the Communist Party. So he was just a brilliant orator. He just had a whole different message. Wow. And, and so that's, that's really how the letter was received in some ways. Uh, the letter that was meant to inform would lead to my dad losing his place in his own family. So where did your dad go after he was ostracized by the family? My dad was and continues to be a lover of languages, and he was very gifted. And so along with a variety of ministry opportunities, he would eventually settle into the world of Bible translation. And he was part of a team that worked on translating the living Bible into a language called Tamil, which is my heart language. Okay. Let's hear John 3.16 in in your heart language. Can you do it? I'm going to try. Okay. Hmm. Wow. I know, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? It's beautiful. Thank you. It just flows. I love that. So your grandpa, though, who still at this time is a, is a Hindu, goes after your dad. What did that look like? I, I just love that story because it feels so much like the prodigal son. I often joke. It's like the Bollywood version of the... Because sure. my, my, my grandfather, you know... When he ostracized his son, he didn't stop loving him. That's still his firstborn child. And so he was thinking, this is a spoiled rich kid. He's going to run out of food. He's going to want new clothes. He's going to come home. And when he does, I'll be here. And so he pitches the proverbial lawn chair and he waits for the prodigal to return. But God did provide 
what my dad needed. And after a while of waiting, my grandfather said, if my son's not going to come to me, I'm going to go after him. And so he finds him in the city of Madras, which is now Chennai, another huge city on the, on the southern coast of India. And he says to my father, I, the Bible that you claim to love so much, is there not a passage in there that talks about honoring your parents? And my dad knows he's kind of being backed into a corner because my grandfather is also a brilliant man. And so he says, yes, and how can I honor you? And my grandfather said, well, the way you can honor me is by marrying the girl I choose. And as I mentioned earlier, arranged marriage is a very common way th- where, uh, you know, a way things happen in India, but in this traditional family, even more so. But my, gra- my father was hoping to marry another Christian so they could grow in the faith and serve together. And so he told his father, that's just fine. You find the girl I'll marry her. Just make sure she's a Christian. And my grandfather said to my father, you are the only fool in our entire community to, to become a Christian. Where will I find a Christian bride? And he said, you say your God is almighty. Well, if he's almighty, then he can change her too, right? Mm. And he kind of drops the gauntlet. It's a, it's a gotcha moment. It is. It is. And my, and my dad said, okay. And, he, and he, he'll say this to us, when we're telling this story, like, you know, I went and prayed about it. And he'll say, I do not recommend this. Okay. But then he went back to his father and said, okay. You find the girl, I will marry her. Okay. So he marries a, a Hindu woman? Yeah. So that launched the greatest search in South India's history to find the most <laughs> pious Hindu girl this family could lay their eyes on. And they found the perfect woman who today is my mom. At that point, she had just finished college, super brilliant, also from a wealthy family of milk merchants. And as much as she loved her own faith, she detested the Christians for what she considered a narrow-minded approach to to God, where she said, you know, we have all these gods to add one more God to the shelf is not a big deal. Why do you guys have to insist that Jesus is the only way? That was where she really could not stand the Christian approach to life. Mm. And so, yeah, and my mom and dad, they met the day they were married. All my mom was told was the person you're going to marry has fallen into Christianity. Your job is to bring him out. Wow. Don't worry about it. Same team. We'll bring him back. Mm-hmm. And so what did she do? What did she do to try to, to win your dad over? It was, a, it was, you know, in my dad's prayer, I'll be, you know, I just want to be clear. Like he said, God, you brought her into my life. I will be a good husband, a good in-law, a good son, but I will not force my beliefs on her. I will keep doing the work you've called me to, but I will, you know, I'm not going to do this. My mom, on the other hand, had an agenda and a timeline, self-imposed or otherwise, where she felt like she had to mock, question, ridicule my dad for everything he did. She had all these questions she had to ask of Christians, especially the narrow-mindedness of why, why, why can't you take a pantheon of gods? Why do you have to insist on one God? And my dad, to his credit, would often answer all her questions as, as well as he could, uh, knowing fully well that, you know, she was just gung-ho and she had an agenda. Um... But yeah, that's that's how it began, their married life. And so how did she cr- eventually cross the line? Well, so that part is, is amazing because like I said, she comes from another wealthy family and they were living on a missionary income in South Tamil Nadu, which is not a whole lot. And my mom said, you know, God was providing all our needs, but we had so she had so many wants. She said, if I want a new sari, if I want a new dress. And so she said, if I get to work, my dad was still translating. She said, if I do what you do, can I get paid for it? And my dad said, oh, I don't know. Let me, um, let me talk to my bosses. And they were like, no, we don't need it. The translation work is almost done. What we need to do right now, and Perry, this is the part that's it. The translators translate everything. And you need somebody to kind of make a, a legible copy before it gets printed. Does your wife have good penmanship? And so my mom sent in her writing sample along with, I don't know, hundreds of other people, I'm sure. But they loved my mom's handwriting the best. And so my mom got the job transcribing the Bible 
She was all in it for the money. What she didn't realize at that point was God, in essence, was paying her to read and write the New Testament three times. Mm. And she said the reading of the Gospel of John for the third time, she said her mind's eye was open to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And she said, I had Jesus ask me in my heart, am I still one among many? And she said, after the third reading of the Gospel of John, she said, I could no longer say yes to that. Wow. And so my dad was not even home when this happened. It was her own journey to Jesus. And so my dad comes back from his little mission trip and my mom meets him at the door and she says to him, I've decided to follow Jesus. Wow. wow. It's amazing. And then my dad, you know, matter of fact, chill guy, he says, he knew this was going to happen. And so he said, praise the Lord. You know what we have to do now. Yeah. And so they wrote two letters. One yeah. went to my mom's family, one to my dad's family. And neither of those letters were well received. Right. But, uh, but that was the beginning of my mom kind of joining forces with my dad to begin this amazing journey together. So what finally happened with your grandfather? Yeah. So my mom and that letter reached her. She was ostracized by her family as well. And so it was in that family that I was born a few months after that and my younger brother, James. And so we were kind of like in some ways the outcast family. But everywhere we went, my mom and dad would insist on this radical way of showing up and being Jesus in these communities. So we would go into places where we were not welcome. My parents would bring us as little babies into these communities to let them know that we still love them and we want them to see that there's something different about the Sundararajan family and that difference is Jesus. And over the years, and I often say evangelism in America is often considered, like I think of it like a microwave. Sure. In India, we do crockpot evangelism. It just yeah. takes a lot longer, the flavors seep, and it takes a while. And Indians, my dad would say, are probably the most skeptical people in the world. Um, and there's some truth to that, which is why we also believe the Apostle Thomas was sent to India first, <laughs> the doubting Thomas. Yeah, um, nice. But over the years, um, God did begin to work in the lives of our relatives. My grandfather in particular is the most beautiful story because... Toward the end of his life, my grandfather would move into the home of the son he rejected. Mm. And he spent his last days with my parents, and he died in the Lord. Mm. And that story, it would be its own radio show someday, Perry. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's, for me, a beautiful story of how, in the end, God's love will always triumph. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna, mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.